0: So if capitalism is driving everyone to make a profit and we all save a bit of that profit and therefore accumulate more wealth... Does that mean everyone can be better off if we all run profitable businesses? So does that mean Boris Johnson's idea of levelling up is a good one? Or is there a limit to how much wealth there is? Today, we look at the difference between profit and accumulation. And what exactly are the limits? Where are they? And why? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for joining us. So when you think about it, if there's a limited supply of money or a set amount of money and somebody is accumulating large parts of it, then doesn't that mean less for everyone else? And yet capitalism is based on being incentivized to make a profit. And so does that mean that you are making that profit and then saving it? Last time we talked about whether in Boris Johnson's world of leveling up. Uh, You remember we talked about whether someone can actually make gains without impacting others. And a couple of listeners have asked about this idea. How can net profits occur? In a fixed supply world, but not net accumulation, unless you are acquiring other people's wealth. Uh, so uh, everyone can't save. In other words, so uh, Steve, explain a bit about this.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what I call an open invitation. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? it? There yeah. we are, and I'll see you at the end. I'll be, I'll be back that's in so half good. an hour to wrap get a up. get a cup of a cup of coffee. And you, <laughs> you can, you can send me the the, the cup of coffee you don't drinking is send to me electronically. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's one of those things which happens so frequently. Actually, I'll start off with it with a line about, an, you know that I got uh, hammered by a guy called Rory Robinson back in Australia for a bit of yep. house prices, don't you? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, in the middle of this, this, is, this, is I think it was before the financial crisis, might have been after, but I ended up on a panel with... Um, uh, Guy de Bell, who was one of the deputy governors of the, Bank of, uh, the Reserve Bank of yes. Australia, and just missed out on getting the top job later. And we had we had a bit of a chat, and he's, no, he's, no, he's a personable bloke. was I mean, sort of bloke he wouldn't mind inviting over for a game of you know, backyard cricket. That sort of that sort of person. But anyway, mm. he said, I don't know why you go on about the debt to GDP ratio, meaning private debt, of course. In my case, because you're comparing a stock to a flow. Now. I didn't feel like saying, well, that's brain-dead stupid. You want me to explain why you're wrong? I just basically nodded. And then the next day in the financial review, I think it was, there's Rory saying, Keen is making a schoolboy error of comparing a stock to a flow. And I went, oh, I just I just had enough of this. So I read a little article called Rory Robinson Designs a Car. And, th- and this is back in the days when EVs weren't even on the horizon. You still had hybrids. And so I had him e- inventing the world's fastest hybrid car by um, taking his knowledge from economics that you shouldn't make stock flow comparisons and telling the engineers building the car uh, that they should, not, they should make no stock flow comparisons when they designed the car. So the chief engineer of the, car, of the company, whose name was Dr Strangelove, uh, managed to design the world's fastest uh, hybrid vehicle. And the reason it was so fast was the petrol tank held one liter of petrol, which meant you had to, re- you had to go to the petrol station every, th- every 30 kilometers to refuel. Um, but that's fine because you weren't making a stock flow comparison, and the stockers you were compa- taking, you weren't comparing the stock of petrol you had to the flow of petrol needed by the, by this hybrid vehicle. Now that's that's a long-winded way to say. That stock flow comparisons matter, but economists stuff them up all the time. They don't They don't understand it at all. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's intrinsic
0: yeah. to, to money supply is the speed of the circulation of money, and that's what...
1: Yeah, mean. that's the thing, yeah, yeah. And so this, this, this is the point. When people think about profit, they think, oh, uh, even like this, is, this happens all the time, and particularly people think they're critics, radical critics of the banking sector, make this mistake all the time. They say that when you borrow $100 from the bank... the bank charges you 5% interest, then they're giving you 100, and they want 105 back. So therefore, you've got to borrow more money the next time around, and more money. And this is a fundamental flaw that's going to cause the banking system to collapse. Well, it's just as wrong as Rory Robinson's stuff about uh, stock flow comparisons, because – and this is the point I try to make in a a new cartoon, which actually starts uh, being published, I think, in the next week or two, called Funny Money. Um, But the the point is – that profit is a flow; it is not a stock. So, if you buy, and this is the way that I explain it very, very briefly to people, um, um, you know, when I've got you know two two paragraphs to get the point through, if you borrow a hundred dollars from a bank, uh, that and they charge you five percent interest, that means you have to pay them five dollars per year. On that un- outstanding $100. Now, if you borrowed $100 and you, you know, hire some people and you manage to turn over, no. uh, have a business that turns over $200 per year, and you've got to pay your workers $160 per year of that, and you pay the bank $5 per year on the uh, the interest of the borrowing of $100. You've got $35 spare, which is your profit per year. So profit is a flow, and it's quite feasible to have positive profits indefinitely uh, with, with from a fixed amount of money turning over indefinitely just as it 's quite possible to, to pay debt on outstanding loans uh, indefinitely if the money turns over fast enough i mean you 've after you've yeah. paid your, you know, so that 's the basic so, so, point so the yeah. fact
0: you you 've borrowed that money that money which yeah. is new money of course if you 've borrowed it from the bank that 's new money that 's been traded and then you are putting it to putting it to good use by circulating it quickly because you're employing people and then they're spending their money and so forth yeah so that's so your profit comes out of that but you still have money left to uh, to pay the interest back to the bank at the end of the day
1: that's right. And that's why you know, most, most business loans, are, are, they're, they're not ones you've got to pay back at some point in the future. They're rollover loans. Uh, and so again, this is one of the reasons people get confused, I think, because when you take out a mortgage as, a, as an individual buying a house, then you agree to pay both the interest and the principal back and, and you, people then cloud the two in their minds. Um, but when you take out a business loan, you might borrow, a, you know, let's say you borrow, I don't know, say three hundred and thirty thousand dollars from a bank to build a building, a set of uh, storage sheds. Um, then you would uh, quite sensibly uh, hang on to that that debt of three hundred and thirty thousand. If you earn say sixty five thousand dollars a year from the sheds, uh, then your interest of you know say ten percent. Even if it was 10%, which would be actually high for a small business loan these days, that'd be $33,000. So half, half the money you'd make on the, on the sheds would be paying your interest on your bank loan, but none of it paying off the principal. And you could easily sell that business sometime in the future and sell the debt with it because it's still making that net $33,000 profit above the interest payments you have to make.
0: Right. And that's how people accumulate wealth, isn't it, by and large, that they build up these businesses. The businesses are worth something. So, like when we look at uh, the the richest man in Britain now um, is uh, Sir Leonard Blatnick, who, uh, you know, you probably never even heard of, but he's worth You're 23... dead
1: right. Can you pronounce that last name very Blatnick, carefully?
0: Blatnick. Uh, he's worth 23 billion pounds. He's made his money out of the music industry and he streams boxing events and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, okay. That's his net worth, of course. I mean, but he spends that money as well. He's got a very nice boat, so people have been employed making his boat, for example. I've seen a photograph of him in a nice suit, so was, so he's keeping mm. the clothing industry going as well. So, <laughs> uh, so his money isn't sitting idly by. I mean, he's um, he's investing it. He's buying stuff with it. So there's a difference, though, isn't there? So there's the money he's invested in stocks and shares. So his accumulated wealth is sitting there in stocks and shares, and then there's money he's spending, which is is not accumulating, which is helping the economy go round don't go down. That old trickle down thing, Steve, that is so popular. Um so what about this this accumulation of wealth though? When you've got someone like that who's 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 made the profit you know through the process that you've you've described and he's carried on doing that and carried on doing that. And he's got these businesses which he can sell, which is all still, you know, still good news. But what about the stuff that is just in sitting in stocks and shares? That's that's not so good. That is damaging. Um, that that is not leveling up. Is well,
1: it? this this is actually an area that I'm still working on building in the capacity to model in my Minsky software because. The way I've designed Minsky, which is the way that I model financial dynamics, is that everything is 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 either your claim on somebody else or somebody else's claim on you. So, if your asset, for example, uh, if you're a bank, then your asset is one of your assets is the mortgage that you've taken out to buy your home. Uh, so that's the an it's a liability for you as a as a home buyer, but an asset for the bank. Mm. And you add up all the assets and liabilities because it's they're adding up claims on other people and other people's claims on other people, the sum is zero. So that's that's what we call financial assets. But what we're looking at as well as non financial assets, and this is um, this is where things get curly, because think about think about the house. If you buy a house then yes, the mortgage you've got on that house is your liability and somebody else's asset. But what yeah, the, but hu- the value is very
0: different. Yeah. Yeah, but the it's value like, yeah. The,
1: yeah. The house itself is your asset. Is it anybody else's liability? No, it's not. So it's what's known as a, a non-financial asset. I have to have to say that I, I became aware of this when I started trying to draft the housing policy for the political party I'm standing for at the next Australian election, the New Liberals, uh, because I needed to include uh, people's housing assets as uh, as part of their uh, part of their net worth, so they've got a you know they've got a bank account and they've got superannuation, let's say, um, and they've also got a house. And I thought, well, you know, the superannuation is their asset and it's the liability of the superannuation company. The bank deposit is their asset and the liability of the bank. The bank, the house is their asset, but whose liability is it? The answer is nobody's. Um, so what you have to do, and we're just until you sell it. Well no yeah when so say comes somebody else's asset but nobody's liability okay
0: yeah and, well, that, but then when they when they sell it they'll get a loan presumably from the bank so you'll be no, back to
1: the- this this is where you've got to be careful the loan itself if you have if you buy the house with a loan then you've got a liability of the loan which is the asset of the bank that lent the money to you but what you acquire is the house itself and the house hmm. Is is your asset and nobody else's liability. So you know my point. Yeah, yeah I, I here yeah, we're yeah, saying and of course, yeah. we're all
0: seeing that because all our houses are worth, you know, particularly post COVID, are worth more than we they were going into COVID. We're seeing yeah, house yeah. price increases everywhere. But so so we all know that our, our house is actually worth way more than we are paying off our mortgage on. But when I sell my house, and this will definitely be the case in Australia, won't it? Mm-hmm. Then somebody else is going to go to the bank and say, okay, I'm buying a million pound or a million dollar house. Uh, which would be cheap in Australia these days, wouldn't well, I'm buying a million dollar house. Uh, I need a million, you know, a million dollar loan, or I need a mm, nine hundred thousand mm. uh, dollar loan. So then it sort of plays catch up, doesn't it? It's that period well, in between where it's, well, you know, and, it's not mortgaged by anybody.
1: And the, but actually, this is the point that that I'm st- still working on how you work out the overall logic of because. What actually drives that house price? And I know this empirically from checking numerous countries around the world. What causes house prices to rise is accelerating mortgage debt. Okay. Yeah. So, and then the, I've explained the logic there. Many, mm. uh, many okay. Just to repeat it: uh, when you buy a house, as you're saying, you don't buy it with most. You don't, don't buy it with cash. Most people don't, except for your rich mate in uh, in, in the UK. Um, oh, Leonard Lenny, Leonard, Lenny, Lenny Blavd, you're, you're, Lenny
0: Blavnik. Yeah. yeah,
1: that that's the one. Yeah, um, so people like that can buy a house with cash, but most of us have to borrow money to buy the house. So the demand for the house is new mortgage loans. And if you look at the aggregate number of houses being sold, and the demand for all those houses in monetary terms is the sum of all the new mortgage debt taking out. So the change in the level of mortgage debt is the monetary demand for houses. Then you. When you, when you that's your demand, so you, that's you, that's your demand side of the equation. And as we all know, supply of housing is very rigid, very, you know, not fixed, but it moves very slowly compared to the demand. So mm. the number of houses that are going to be sold is going to be the number, uh, if, if you if you divide the um, the sale price, like the million dollar example you use for Australia, which would be a cheap house. In, I think the average price in Australia is exceeding a million dollars in a house. In places like Sydney, it's one point three million. Um, mm-hmm. But when you when you buy the or when you when you divide the amount of demand coming in by the number of houses being offered for sale, that effectively is the number of houses that can be purchased by the uh, by the buyers, and that that's what gives you a monetary value on those houses. Now that monetary value in other words and when you then say well what what are my assets you re- you record the value of the house you now own at effectively the, this price the last uh price that a similar house was sold for in your market area so you are going to record like you know your house which you're sitting in and you haven't sold it. you're going to put that down on your own uh, uh, tally of assets and liabilities saying oh that's worth a million so my my net worth uh, starts off as a million that I have as an asset, which is which is no, which is not a liability of anybody else. Um, so that's there is a link, in other words, between the, right and
0: because, yeah yeah, and because it's not a liability for anybody else, doesn't that mean that I can accumulate that asset without impacting anyone else? So can I? You know, this idea that uh, you know maybe Boris is right, maybe the very wealthy are accumu- accumulating that wealth. Uh, aren't stopping anybody else accumulating wealth.
1: But the thing is, the reason that you can actually sell it for a higher price is somebody borrows money to buy it. Yeah. So you get caught up. There is a link between these two circuits. So in terms of assets, which which are somebody else's liability that's where money comes from particularly if, of course we're talking of the credit system rather than government government created money here uh but you don't you don't buy a house with uh you know money the government gives you most of the time you buy it with money you get from a bank so you've 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 taken out a, a, a you've got a you've borrowed a million uh, pounds, let's say in the UK's case, which gives you a million pounds worth of buying power, offset by precisely a million pounds of debt that you owe to the bank. And then when you when you give that million pounds to the person you're buying the house off, they get a million pounds effectively in in cash. You get the house, which you're valuing at a million a million pounds. So you think mm. you've come out even, and you're expecting that to increase in value over time. But it'll only increase in value if somebody else is willing to borrow one point one million and buy it off you at a later stage. So the valuation right. the valuation of these financial assets is caught up in this in the financial bubble of the financial assets, which we're, which are when somebody's asset is somebody else's liability.
0: It's mess. So what? Are, mm. right, so what are we saying here then? So we're saying on this whole thing about you know the flows that you were talking about and the difference mm. between accumulating cash versus making a, a profit. So mm. I, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's very clear, isn't it? If you if you run a business that's making a profit, then you are employing people to get to that situation. So you're helping the money go around. Basically, mm. you you know you're speeding it up. Mm. You're employing people. They're they're getting money. Everybody wins in 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 that situation. And it is it's not constrained fully by the money supply, is it? Because if you are borrowing to invest, then you're actually expanding the money supply, and then you're also speeding up the, the velocity of money. So that's what's helping the economy grow. So if you if your business wasn't there and you weren't doing that, then the economy would be smaller.
1: And in fact, what, what I find, I still haven't checked this out empirically, but it looks like the case, the higher the level of private debt, the slower money turns over. Okay. No. Right. The, the, again, this is one of these cases where we apply our personal logic to a situation which is actually caused by a collective phenomenon, and therefore we damage that collective phenomenon.
0: But so, is that because mm-hmm. that is that because that private debt is going into housing rather than going into businesses, though?
1: Yeah, potentially yes, because when when you borrow um, for for a business, you actually are saying, you know, what can I make out of this money? What turnover can I get out of it? Um, yeah. When you borrow for an asset, you're saying, I want to buy this for for you know a, a million, sit in my sit on my ass on it for five years, and sell it for two million. And so, yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. So surely, if you if you were able to split the two out, and you looked at okay, how much private debt is for uh, investments in 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 business growth, then that that's what would be contributing to. Improving the, the the velocity of money and uh, you know and the, and the supply of money and ultimately the GDP of the country. If you if you separated out housing, the problem is housing is such a vast proportion, isn't it, of how much money is let is uh, well, that's the trouble I mean, in yeah, this country.
1: Yeah, yeah, most most of the money that's borrowed these days is going into asset purchases, and then yeah. it's caught up in this whole link between financial and non financial assets, and predominantly housing. I mean, housing is by far the most important element for the vast majority of people. Um, so we, and, and of course, what we're doing as well, and, and this is the other you know, cra- crazy thing about it: when you say my house is worth a million pounds, what you're saying, depending on the stage of the market you're in, is if I if I set put my house on the market, find somewhere else to live, pay all the transfer costs, uh, and wait long enough until somebody's willing to pay my offering price, the house is worth a million. In other words, it's not the the the, the it, it's not at call whereas a bank account is at call and we we we, we tend to conf- we confuse the two and of course what can happen uh, with, uh, if, if you do then have, uh, like a bubble like happened in America with the 2008-2007 financial crisis, you had the subprime boom going on beforehand. And everybody was borrowing money to buy housing. Everybody was driving up house prices in the belief that if, if they couldn't afford to service it out of their income, they could just sell the house for a profit and they'd join the American dream. Well, of course, the American nightmare is what re- reacted because uh, when... People and this, it started happening in 2006 when enough people found themselves unable to make that sale because the you know, the, the, the transfer costs overwhelmed them. They were going to make a loss on the house, etc., etc. Suddenly, the demand for houses collapsed, and you went from house prices rising 20% per year to them falling 40% in one year. And 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 that's what's dangerous about non-financial assets because it, they're not worth what you've written down on paper. They're worth what you can sell them for. And that can, mm. when, when, the, when people are still, when the borrowing side, when people who are taking, taking out more mortgage debt to go then and buy the houses, and that's going to be propelling that, that notional value of the house higher. But if they stop doing that, that notional demand can collapse. And then suddenly you go from having, you know, a, a positive, uh, you know, a very highly, a house you're valuing at 1.3 million quid is certainly something you, you're going to get 700,000 for. And that loss wipes out the remainder of your financial assets
0: so uh sir leonard blavnik i just love saying his name now we're going to hear him at least three times more before the end of this podcast mm. uh sir leonard blavnik there's the first one uh he <laughs> only two more to go uh when he saves his money when he's a uh, by saving it i mean he's investing it in stocks and shares or some form of asset mm. he uh, uh he's not he, he is taking that away from somebody else in that because it's his asset, it's got to be someone else's liability. So it's gotta level out at some time. We can't all be billionaires.
1: Well, um this this is this is again where it gets quite hairy because if you're trying to accumulate cash um and you're like if you're trying to turn your profit into accumulated cash, um then to accumulate that cash, unless the money supply is growing, that accumulation of cash had to come at somebody else's expense. Yeah. Uh, and so that un- that undermines Boris's. You know, we can all uh, we can all continue rising.
0: And if uh, and if he sa- so- and if he just goes, oh, I'm just going to save it all as cash, and he puts it back in the bank. I mean that that cash is destroyed at the moment because it presumably you know it started off as a loan, but in in any case it's going back into the bank. That would be destroying that money, wouldn't it? As far as the money's concerned, if
1: if you if you if you paid off the yeah. debt, okay. If you if you if you simply put the money in the bank account and then thought you could you know continue growing your bank account every year, the only way you can do that is that the bank if the banks and the government. But let's let's focus on the private credit system in this talk. Um, if the banks are creating more debt, to the for, for, for an, an individual can accumulate in a system with a constant supply of money, uh, but they can only accumulate at the expense of all the other individuals in that system. The only way all the individuals can accumulate more cash over time is if the banking sector is creating more cash over time. And this is um, one little thing that I... Uh, decided to do a cartoon book on with Miguel Guerra that one a wonderful cartoonist who does the uh, the seven robots work and uh, it's about to be about to start being published by Arkhaven Comics um, and it's called Funny Money so what I, what I set up and this is uh, is three um, American uh, redneck capitalists Tom, Dick and Harry and uh, Tom, Dick and Harry are, you know Milton Friedmanites uh, they're believers in the private sector only get rid of the government etc 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 so they decide just to create a state in you know, part of the Midwest of America where they happen to own everything. Uh, and they have a fixed amount of money and they decide to check and see, you know, try work out in practice, actually see how their economic theories work out in practice. And it doesn't quite work out mm. the way they think it does.
0: Because of what we've been describing today, fundamentally, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because if one of them accumulates, they accumulate yeah. at the expense of the other. So they're all they're all trying to accumulate money, and suddenly they're finding if one goes up, the other two go down to go down by precisely the same amount of money, which initially they think is a conspiracy and robbery, and then finally one of them works out. Hang on a sec. If you're going to accumulate more cash, and there's only x amount of cash in the in the economy, then I'm going to get I'm going to have x minus the extra bit that you accumulate. So your accumulation. Right. Oh, but, yeah, but one, here's pocket.
0: another scenario no. though, because uh, I mean accumulation obviously is the opposite yeah. of, of, of debt. You know, i I've got money. That that other people can't have, or assets that other people can't have. But if you know, in that scenario I described, mm-hmm. where Sir Leonard Blavnik, whose name you'll only hear one more time in this podcast, uh, to hold you to that. He, uh, if he, uh, is, has made that 23 billion and it's not and he decides he's going to put it all in the bank and it's not a loan that he's paying back, then the bank goes, Okay, we've got 23 billion now, which basically adds to their reserves, as I understand it. So they could actually, uh, then, uh, safely. Uh, lend out more money
1: well if they don 't they don 't they can 't lend reserves no no
0: but but they they have that but yeah. it 's not lending that money out it 's giving them the liquidity they need so that they can issue more loans so that twenty three billion allows them to le- create more money new money in the economy, and they go that 's right we 've got this liquidity, thanks to Sir Leonard Blavnik last time. Uh, his money's gone into the bank, well, uh, and that that gives us the the, the flexibility, the liquidity I, for us to create more money for the rest of the I, world to borrow money to invest, which is going to help the the economy grow. I
1: think you've made a Bladnick logical error there, and and that is that if <laughs> if 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 if, if uh, Bladnick, and I'm going to say it a few times to annoy
0: the hell out of you as well. You said it wrong, but I can't I can't correct That's you right. cause I've, cause used whole, so, I've used that all my. Okay, so
1: so if,
0: if, so if Bladnick. Um, (laughs) Change the V and T, Rand, and then you're there. V and T. Change the V and the T. -T B-L-A-V-T-N-I-K. Vlavnik.
1: Vlavnik. Okay. Yeah, they will do. So if Vlavnik whacks into the bank account and doesn't spend it, the circulation of money declines, uh, the economy slows down and the banks look at it and think oh, we better not lend any more money now uh, mm. the rate of uh, the level of economic activity has dropped so we're going to create less money and maybe even cancel some loans and you fall into a into a recession so this is this is the the, the paradox that Keynes once called the widow's cruise that if, if you try to accumulate money you slow down how fast money turns over and the gdp declines because you're trying to accumulate uh, because what you, 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 you've got a, a flow of money that you're trying to hang on to part of it. And by hanging on to it, you don't change one zot, the amount of money in existence. What you change is how fast the money is turning over. So my three little American capitalists all attempt to save more money, what they're doing is spending more slowly and the GDP collapses. And they then realize the only way they're going to get the uh, economy to grow is if they spend more. And so they find themselves, that rather than having this desire to be frugal, they find that being frugal is actually counterproductive. And this is, again, part of what Keynes argued in terms of the Widow's Cruise. It's also what was put forward by um, uh, in the, f- the fable of the bees by one of the phys- uh, pre-physiocrats, way, way back even before Adam Smith. Uh, 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 Mirabeau, I think it is, the parable of the bees. And and basically saying that uh, that, that what is what a, a private virtue is a public vice. So if you practice thrift, the impact of you practicing thrift is to reduce everybody else's income. Yeah,
0: well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of Friedman's big things—I mean, he—he he was a, he he argued against himself quite a lot, didn't he, uh, Milton Friedman? And one of the well, he
1: was logical enough to do that yeah
0: <laughs> one of one of the, one of the I mean because on the one side, he was you know all about borrowing to invest to grow, which is what we've been talking about. but on the other side, you know, he had his permanent income hypothesis, which is basically saying, if I've got money left over after tax, I'm not necessarily um, going to um, uh, spend it all. I'm going to squirrel stuff away because I'm worried about the future. Which we all do. You know, we, we go, oh, OK, I'm not going to earn as much as I am now in 10 years time. So I'd better save. But of course, Milton Freeman on the other side was all about, well, saving is not necessarily good, is it? You really should be spending because that's what's helping the economy to grow.
1: Yeah, and all these paradoxes turn up when you when you start working at the aggregate level, but your thinking works at the individual level, and this is you know why neoclassical economics is a you know a waste of space, uh, because they try to use uh, the guidance of an individual for the collective. And again, for an individual, if you want to save, if you want to accumulate money, then you should spend more slowly. And if you spend more slowly, the, the overall system declines and your income might fall as well. So your attempt to save actually ends up you dissaving, which is also one of the little scenarios I set up in, in the first volume of Funny Money. Uh, so yeah, this, this failure to distinguish between stocks and flows um, and the difference between financial and non-financial assets, and then the value of non-financial assets, actually reflecting how much uh, fi- uh, debt is growing, private debt, you know, particularly mortgage debt, which is a financial asset. It's it's a tangled web, and it's no wonder we fall over both intellectually and uh, and fiscally.
0: Well, it's that, it's that definition of saving, isn't it? When people think of savings, they think of, I'm putting money into a bank account, and it's not actually serving any useful purpose. It's not being reinvested and, uh, uh, and, and employing people. Uh, or you know that's so so because so, it's curious, isn't it? Because on the one side you would think well, well, saving should be should net zero at the aggregate level. So if you've got two people, any one person uh, spends uh, is going to be a, a saving for the next person because the next person gets it. And if they don't do anything with it, then it's a saving. So aggregate savings would be zero. zero. But, if you look exactly. at figure, but if you look at the figures from the Office of National Statistics, uh, they publish data showing the ratio of savings to income. Uh, And it's always above zero. In fact, it's 20% uh, through the early part of the pandemic.
1: And this comes down to how they define it. And this is when when, when macroeconomics and monetary definitions clash with each other. It's like in monetary sense, if you save, save, you're spending less, okay? Uh, Which means at, at the aggregate level, expenditure is identical to income, okay? What you spend is income for somebody else. So that's one of the fundamental identities of macroeconomics. But the way income and consumption are defined in the national accounts is that income is the you know, total turnover in the economy uh, of in one particular year, and savings is the level of consumption subtracted from that income. Now, that's supposed to be equal to in investment. Um, so what they're saying is not that people are saving 20% per year, meaning that bank accounts are growing at 20% per year, That, of, but of the turnover of the economy... Eighty percent goes into consumption, and twenty percent goes into investment, and that investment is then treated as savings in the way the national accounts are defined. But it's not at all what we mean by savings in terms of bank accounts. So
0: we could all be there making a, a you know, a, a profit, a healthy profit. The issue is if we, and you know, what do you do with that money? If if everyone made a healthy profit in their businesses, and they spent it all. Then the economy would be going along well. We'd all feel quite happy. It's when we actually try to, when we don't spend it all and we accumulate and we invest in, in assets, that's where we hit issues because I can't grow the size of my asset base. Uh, if there was only two people on the in the country, there was mm. me. Uh, with a net worth of fifty thousand pounds and there was the you know the 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 richest man in britain today do you know who that is by the way i can't pronounce his
1: name i'm sorry i've forgotten how to pronounce (laughs) it
0: (laughs) and i can't say it so uh him uh, worth 23 billion and I'm worth fifty thousand uh, if I accumulated and I was running a profitable business and he was just sitting on his yacht mm. uh, yeah, obviously I'd only be selling stuff to him uh, but he uh, if my pro- I couldn't accumulate my profit anymore without impacting his yeah so that but I can still be if I wasn't hung up on that just trying to s- support B- Boris here because he needs help right now. With his leveling up argument if i wasn't worried about accumulating assets i was just worried about my lifestyle and i was going to spend 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 without accumulating which is which is a good thing anyway why why the hell should we accumulate it's, it's bad for the economy it's bad for it's bad for kids when they inherit it's you know it, accumulation is a bad thing um i think um then um then everyone can have a better lifestyle by creating businesses or being employed in businesses that increase profits without hitting that accumulation issue, can't they?
1: And this is where, like, if, if, the, the best example of this was the the, the Wargel experiment in Austria during the, yeah. the, the run-up to the Second World War, because uh, because of the depression, the private credit system had collapsed, and twenty-five percent of the population was out of a job. And the mayor, who was a fan of the work of um, of um, a gazelle. Uh, the monetary uh, theorist, uh, Gust- uh, I think it's Gustav Gzellek. I'm not sure at the moment. I better check. Yeah, it out.
0: very thin legs, didn't you? I remember that.
1: <laughs> yep, that's true. <laughs> um, he, uh, he he introduced a, a script which, if you didn't uh, spend it, you had to put a stamp on it, and the stamp reduced its value over time. The script could be used to pay local government taxes and was also used for local commerce, and that turned over so much faster. Than the credit-based money, which the system had virtually broken down, that everybody was uh, the uh, economy of Wargal went gangbusters, and there was full employment until the Austrian Central Bank stepped in and, and blocked and blocked the whole experiment, uh, which was one of the factors that led to everybody voting for Hitler um, in the in the Austrian elections not long after. So. It, 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 if you increase the velocity of, of, of turnover of whatever you're using for money, you'll increase prosperity. If everybody tries to save, and this is the the parable of the bees uh, argument, if you all try to save and a it away, the economy will decline. So with a fixed supply of money, a uh, personal attempt to save, a cannot save because you can't change in the aggregate the amount of money through not spending it,
0: uh, What's and, the, how, how do bees? How do bees get into that? What's the Meric, parable of the bees? I,
1: frankly, I, so long since I've read it, I've forgotten. I just know it's called the parable <laughs> of the bees. I better go back and read it uh-huh. again.
0: Lot, there's, there's your homework,
1: for yeah, you there. kind of Great, just what I need. More work.
0: <laughs> no, no, for our listeners. No, you don't need to. Oh, do. okay, let's for a, our listeners. Go let's, have yeah. a go,
1: maybe, wait, 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 let's have a little. Uh, let, let's actually have a few podcasts where we talk about some classics like that. Because you know, I read yeah, that. Yeah. I read that so many years ago. It's like it's probably about forty years ago that I read it. Well,
0: listen, the listeners can do that if you can submit your uh, your homework by Friday, and yeah. uh, Steve will give you marks. Marks out of ten. How about that? Oh, yeah, thanks a yeah. the lot. You gotta mark, okay. Then you have got to start marking homework. You add mm. that to your workload. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted there, but I think that I think we you know we've made the point, haven't we? That, that that the, the difference is between, and it is all to do with flows. I mean, profit is a flow, and accumulation is yeah. uh, is it's is a st- stock. Is a stock which is not dead money, but it's slow money, and it's yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and it's
0: and in it, the finance it, it, sector.
1: Yeah, and the attempt to save the money actually slows down how fast it turns over. So what you end up yeah. with is a smaller legi- by trying to save, which you're being you know, responsible and frugal. You've actually reduced the the, the uh, rate of. Uh, the size of the economy, um, so you try to make your nest egg bigger, and what you've ended up making is is making the the tree smaller, so to speak. So um, it is is one of those classic cases where uh, you know you have to distinguish t- t- turnover of money from accumulation, and then non financial assets, which you can have uh, a, a net positive positioning from financial assets where everybody's you know if because of one financial asset is somebody else's financial liability they all cancel mm. out in the end and then it's the financial assets that actually drive the value of the non-financial assets.
0: Great stuff. Look, I think uh, everyone will have followed us unusually this week. That's that's um, we can, I think we carried everyone through that.
1: I think you're being optimistic but that might be because you're a good friend of what's his name?
0: Uh, yeah, old Blavy. Uh, as I like to call yeah, that's him, right. so Lenny Blavie, mm. yeah. Uh, all right, okay. We'll uh, catch you again next week. I want to talk about uh, information asymmetry next week. Um,
1: oh dear, bloody Joe, eh? Okay. <laughs> at least, I, at least I can renounce Stiglitz, That's good.
0: Yeah, good, excellent. Okay, we'll catch you, okay. Okay. Thanks, Steve. you then. Okay, thanks, bye. And um, that is it for today, for this week. I'm Phil Dobby with Steve again next week. Thanks for listening.